your alarm clock goes off. Your eyes open. Now what? Now what? What should you do? Why and how should you do it? Now, some of you are doers. You wake up with goals and prioritize to-do lists. Uh, You get right out of bed and you begin to do. You find satisfaction in doing. But there's a great temptation for you. You can achieve without ever really considering why and how. You go, go, go. The tasks themselves become your purpose, your why, your how. And from the time you toss the covers, it's hard for you to remember that as a Christian, God has something preeminent for you to do that must inform everything you do. Achievement itself, maybe the satisfaction of achievement becomes your motivation instead of love. Some of you dread getting out of bed in the morning. You may feel lazy or apathetic or fearful or anxious or purposeless. When I worked at Cintas in my 20s, folks, I dreaded getting out of bed in the morning. Fear, anxiety, insecurity, they can all make the covers feel a lot uh, warmer and, and more cozy. From the moment you wake up, some of you may feel pretty aimless, pretty empty, pretty inept. You have little ambition for anything. You may stay uh, in bed in part because you don't think that there's much purpose in getting out of bed. There's a great temptation for you. Your temptation is similar to the go-getters. You're tempted to forget that you belong to God. Your day belongs to him and that your God has something all important for you to do. Like the go-getters, your alarm clock beeps, it strikes, and, and, and you naturally and immediately begin thinking about yourself. More so than God's grand purpose for you. Listen, even as Christians, when your alarm clock sounds, your impulse is to awake and to focus on you. But the Lord your God desires you to get out of bed and to give yourself entirely to one thing. Your hope is that as a Christian, the Holy Spirit in you will help you to move past your selfish daily ambition to pursue a sanctified daily ambition. Because you belong to Christ, your ambition must be to go downstairs to eat breakfast, to love God and others, to go to school, to love God and others, to go to work, to love God and others, to go to lunch, to practice, to the store, to the hairdresser, to the doctor, to the dinner table, to the workshop, to love God and others. This is your ambition because Christ bought you with his blood. As a Christian, your daily ambition must be to love God and others as the law defines and Jesus does. Like the Pharisees and Sadducees, you are inclined by nature to hate God and others. 
It's, it's not surprising to read in verse 35 that one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. To test him. We've, we've uh, watched the Pharisees oppose Jesus throughout Matthew. The Sadducees also opposed him, as we saw last time in Matthew 22, uh, verses 23 through 33. But Jesus' opposition was unable to entangle him. He outwitted them with divine truth and wisdom, but they were ambitious. Uh, Their unbelief, hypocrisy, and hatred compelled them to keep trying to destroy Jesus, and their selfish ambition ruined them. In Matthew 22, verse 34, the Pharisees heard about how Jesus silenced the Sadducees, and they assembled to go at him again. Verse 35 says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Now, some Pharisees were uh, scribes or lawyers. Uh, The lawyer, who probably spoke for the group, examined Jesus as if he was on trial. The question was asked with malicious intent, not with any uh, genuine interest to learn or believe. It's human nature to question God. One time, I was uh, steelhead fishing, and I got into a conversation with a guy fishing next to me uh, about Christ, and he was an unbeliever, and he asked me questions, but as I kept responding, I sensed that he didn't really want to hear the answers to the questions that he was asking. It seemed like he just wanted to ask questions. Questions are often asked out of unbelief and hatred of God and not a desire to actually know the truth. Do you remember what the serpent asked Eve? Did God actually say? Now, Satan wasn't seeking truth there. Um, His question was meant to deceive and ruin. Questions can be very crafty. Folks, do you understand your sinful nature? The the, the sinful impulses inside of you, do you understand that? Scripture teaches that the heart is deceitful above all things. Inside your heart, inside my heart, is a sinful inclination like the lawyers to question God, to test God, to come up with reasons why we know better than God. We don't naturally find the truth appealing, so we question it. Romans 3 says, no one seeks for God. That's our sinful nature. Now, sin no longer defines us or masters us. We belong to Christ. Christ is our master. We have hope as Christians. We we do actually have sanctified desires that the Spirit is putting in us as well. But even so, as Paul explains in Romans 7, sin dwells in our members. We are wretched. There is a war inside us. Twice, Paul said, sin dwelt in him. As Christians, please listen carefully to this, as Christians, we're free in Christ from the power of sin, but not yet free from the presence of sin. So you must be aware, brothers and sisters, that when you wake up in the morning, you still have in you a natural ambition to hate God and your neighbor. Every day you need God to graciously replace this sinful ambition with a sanctified ambition. Daily you need God to reorient your thoughts and desires and actions toward loving God and others. We need the gospel daily. 
to have a sanctified daily ambition. As a Christian, your daily ambition must be to love God and others as the law defines and Jesus does. And you need God to graciously put it in you and and to powerfully help you pursue it. Not only are we naturally inclined to hate God and our neighbor, we are also naturally inclined to forget that the motive of true obedience is love. Love. Like the Pharisees and Sadducees, you're inclined to forget that true obedience to God's law is motivated by true love that proceeds from true faith. Now, the lawyer was an expert. He was very familiar with the many laws of the Old Testament, and so he asked Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, how was that a test? That gets my mind going. I didn't really understand this, but how is that a test to ask that question? Here's here's what I think was going on. Hang with me here. Many scholars count 613 laws in the Old Testament. Some even divide them into 248 positive laws or do this laws and 365 negative laws or don't do this laws. And apparently, rabbis argued about which of, of those laws were light and which were Weighty. Maybe the essence of his question was, teacher, which commandment do you think is weightier than all the rest? If Jesus said this law, he'd upset those who say that law. If Jesus said that law, he would upset those who say this law. The lawyer tried to trip him up, maybe pull him down into the weeds, into the argument. As a law expert, Didn't he understand that the aim of every divine commandment is love? That that to truly obey God's law, one must obey out of love. Love. The Pharisees got the law wrong because they didn't realize it was all about love. This this explains how they could self-righteously seek to destroy Jesus as if doing so was honorable. Now imagine... Uh, reading a, a beautiful poem by Shakespeare, maybe, or one of your favorite poets or whatever, and coming away impressed only by the letters. Not words, not sentences, not meaning, just letters. The significance and the beauty of the poem would be entirely lost The Pharisees were so fascinated with individual laws that they could not understand what all the laws were ultimately about. Love God and others. Their legalism left no room for love. For them, the law was a means of self-righteousness and not a means of love arising from faith. We're also prone to this. You may have heard the story of the three bricklayers Three bricklayers were were asked uh, what they were doing, and the first bricklayer said laying bricks. The second bricklayer said building a wall. Well, the third bricklayer had the most profound insight. He said building a cathedral. 
Only the third bricklayer truly understand, uh, understood his work. His eyes were not on the bricks. His eyes were not on the mortar. His eyes were on the glory of God, the worship of God in the grand cathedral. Folks, God's commandments are not inconsequential laws to obey for the sake of obedience. You just do it. Right? Just obey because that's what we do with laws. The, the Ten Commandments are laws given out of love in order to obey out of love. Love. We, we, we can forget this. We can forget that true love is the motivation and ultimate point of obedience. We are loved, therefore our obedience is an act of love for our God. The religious leaders miss this. See, true love arises from faith in Christ. In Galatians 5, 6, Paul talked about faith working through love. James talked about showing faith by good works. Through faith, we receive God's grace, which stimulates love. God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's grace. Who compels us to love God and others. That's gratitude. As Christians, we often forget in our daily routines that Jesus said, if you love me, can you finish it? You will keep my commandments. I don't think we'll ever have a sanctified daily ambition until we recognize that obeying God's commands is how we love him. And before we can properly understand what our daily ambition ought to be, we need to understand the loving relationship we have with God through Christ. This is all important. Jesus frames God's two greatest commandments with God's covenantal love for you. You can hear God's covenantal love in verse 37 in the words, the Lord your God Hear the gospel in this command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. The Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and chief priests all belong to the covenant people of Israel. At least visibly, at least temporally, Jesus was speaking to Jews who had received God's covenant promises. The Lord their God was Yahweh, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, the gracious God who, as he was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses on Sinai, first gave the glorious gospel of redemption. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God reminded Israel of his covenantal identity, love, and redemption, then gave them the Ten Commandments. Grace, then gratitude. Jesus answered the lawyer's question, but framed the two greatest commandments with God's covenantal identity and love. He succinctly reminded the lawyer who God was for him, the Lord your God. You can hear the echo of God's promise from Exodus and Leviticus in his answer. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. What a gracious promise. With verse 40 in mind, the law and prophets give us 
law. The law and prophets give us law, but the law and prophets, they're also God's self-revelation. The law and prophets reveal God's covenantal and redemptive identity and love. We will not understand God's commandments until we know who God is. He is the holy, righteous, merciful, gracious, compassionate, and loving covenant-making, covenant-keeping, and redeeming God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who God is for his people leads into God's people loving him by obedience. Grace creates gratitude. Grace stimulates gratitude. Grace motivates our love for God and others. So, A lot hinges on how you hear the words, the Lord your God. How do you hear those? A lot hinges on how you hear. What what are you hearing in in, in those words? Are those words like a fat paycheck at the end of the month? Or like a lavish inheritance? Is the Lord your God because of something that you have done or because of something God has done for you? How you answer that question greatly influences how you hear and process this command. If you hear the Lord your God as unmerited, undeserved, and unearned grace, as God taking you for himself to love you, his love for you will grow inside of you a sanctified daily ambition to love God and others. The very fact that you belong to God and you believe that God loves you excites love in you. This is why the Apostle John wrote things like, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that that he loved us. And we love because he first loved us. Yes, if you strive to love God in order to be loved by God, God, you will be a miserable person, a miserable person. But if you strive to love God because you are loved by God, God's love will compel you to this sanctified daily ambition, to this sanctified daily ambition of love. You will not get out of the bed in the morning with the sanctified daily ambition of love if you are not conscious of God's uh, lavish covenantal love for you. Before you strive to love, you must remember, dear people of God, that he is the Lord your God who delivered you from the bondage of sin and death. That gospel puts a sanctified daily ambition into your heart to love God and love others because God loves you. With God's covenantal love for you in mind, what ought to be your daily ambition? What ought to be your aim after the alarm clock? Why do they make this sound like, eh, eh, it's terrible. I don't like alarm clocks. I don't get along. They're not my friends. Friends, Jesus tells you what your greatest ambition ought to be every day. Jesus was asked the question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? A lawyer, a law guy, 
ask him that question. And Jesus gave a precise and helpful answer that silenced them all. No one dared to ask him any questions after this. His wisdom far exceeded theirs. Here's what God wants your greatest ambition to be every day. Do this one thing and you will not waste your day, ever. Jesus told the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. If you do nothing else in the day, do this one thing, and it is a day well spent. Three times the the command says, with all, which emphasize wholeness or totality of self. There ought to be no part of you that is not loving God every single minute of every single day. Now, heart, soul, and mind are not distinct parts of you. Um, you are body and soul, simple, done. Your body and soul. Jesus uses these three words to emphasize the wholeness or the totality of you. Heart refers to your inner man. Uh, intellect, thoughts, reason, consciousness, feelings, desires, attitudes, emotions, volition, soul refers to your life, your inner life. Mind refers to the place uh, where in you, where your thoughts and desires originate, imagination, intentions, purpose. See, heart, soul, and mind communicate the totality of you. The, the greatest commandment of all is that all of you loves God fully and completely. So love is command. Love is law. But how exactly does God want us to love him? Well, 613 Old Testament commandments explain love. Okay, but some of those commandments were temporary civil laws for national theocratic Israel. They're not enforced today because Jesus Christ is risen, crucified and risen, and national theocratic Israel is over. It's no more. Other laws were temporary ceremonial laws like food restrictions and the sacrificial, uh, sacrificial system. They're not in force today because Christ has fulfilled the Mosaic law, Mosaic system. But the moral law, the moral law has been in force from before Sinai. I think that's important to understand. Before Sinai. And the moral law is still in force today. We know what love looks like practically because the Ten Commandments describe love for us in concrete terms. Understand the depths of the Ten. Understand what the Ten actually demand. Go beneath the surface of the ten and really unpack what it is God is getting there. And we need scripture to do that. You begin to understand love. Love forms in your mind of what it looks like. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses restated the ten commandments for Israel. Right after, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, Moses emphasized, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In like fashion, 
Uh, in Joshua 22, verse 5, Joshua told several tribes of Israel, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's helpful that the Ten Commandments come to us in two parts. Two parts. The first four commandments explain practically how exactly we are to love God. The last six explain practically how we're to love God by loving others. And many other scriptures expound on these, these Ten Commandments to further explain what love looks like practically. Friends, True love, we need to be clear on this, true love begins with the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. That's, that's where it begins. And each following commandment is intimately connected to the first. To begin to truly love is to begin to love God as the first four commandments define love. Love for others, the last six commandments happen when you're truly loving God as the first four instruct. Every fabric of your being must be devoted to loving God in the way that he describes in his moral law. Jesus is love. Some people talk about the love of Jesus as if it's something different than the Ten Commandments obeyed. I don't get it. I get lost quick in what people are saying. But remember, in Jesus' great exposition of the law in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he said this, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. The Ten Commandments help us understand the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but also help us understand the love of Jesus Christ. How exactly he went about loving every day of his life. Jesus woke up every single day of his life on earth devoted to pursuing one sanctified ambition. Love God with all that I am. Fulfill the law of God for the glory of God. That was his life. So as a Christian who belongs to Christ then, that ought to be your sanctified daily ambition as well. And love, folks, it's not vague. It's not, it, it's not indefinite. It's not open for much interpretation. It is defined by the law and it is done by Jesus. And just for good measure, Jesus threw in another commandment. The second greatest one, it doesn't replace the first. It's like the first. It works in concert with the first. It flows out of the first. It depends on the first. Jesus tells you what your second greatest ambition ought to be every day. Jesus said, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19, 18. And that's what all those commands for Israel were about. Love one another. It's interesting. The Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and chief priests, elders, the law guys, right, misunderstood the law. They didn't get it. 
They didn't believe the gospel. They clearly didn't have love for God. Therefore, they found themselves not loving others, including Jesus himself. In John 8, Jesus said to Jews, and I think the religious Jewish leaders were involved, he said this, if God were your father, you would love me. Jesus went further. He said, you, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He told them, you are not of God. It's gutsy. They didn't truly love God, therefore, they didn't truly love others. And this is why Matthew 12, verse 14 says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And they eventually cried out with passion, crucify him! Their lack of love for God caused them to hate others. In his famed Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us the second greatest commandment. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In Galatians 5.14, Paul explained, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. James added in James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. The scriptures explain for us this royal law, this royal law of love. We do not understand how to love others until God instructs us through all of scripture how to love. Now, some professing Christians take this second greatest commandment and twist it into self-love. They think, well, it says as yourself, and they put the emphasis on as yourself. I'm not loving myself very much, so I need to love myself before I can really devote any energy to loving other people. And so, so a common belief is the key to loving others well is loving yourself well first. And that's very different than what God teaches in Scripture. Uh, that's a very selfish and foolish way to think about love. True love for others begins with true love for God. And God's love poured into your heart is the key to you loving others, not self-love. That's a different gospel. Self-love only inhibits love for other people. Self-love is what makes you not love other people. But self-love, it's a very popular philosophy. Musician Demi Lovato, I have all her albums. I'm kidding, I, I don't have any. But I think I've heard her. She said, you can't love other people until you love yourself. All right? The Dalai Lama, maybe he has something good to say. He said, if you don't love yourself, you cannot love others. TV personality, Barbara DeAngelis, whoever she is, said, if you aren't good at loving yourself, you will have a difficult time loving anyone since you'll resent the time and energy you give another person that you aren't even giving to yourself. Charismatic Christian author and speaker, uh, Joyce Meyer, said, if you don't love yourself, it's impossible for you to love others. You can't give away what you don't have. New York Times bestselling author Sharon Salzberg said, quote, let's catch this one, folks. You yourself 
as much as anybody in the entire universe deserve your love and affection. The sad thing is that ruins people. Self-love is a widespread ambition, and it's a rival ambition to true love. Jesus advocates something very different than self-love. Assuming we already love ourselves, Jesus directs our gaze beyond ourselves to God first and then to others. The idea that self-love motivates love for others is antithetical to the gospel. The alarm clock beeps. Your eyes open. If love is going to happen after that point, you need to live conscious of God's covenant love for you. Then, as you devote yourself to loving God first, you can also devote yourself to loving others. Uh, God put his Holy Spirit into you, people of God, to help you pursue one sanctified daily ambition. Brothers and sisters, we we get so caught up in chasing our dreams uh, without giving much thought to whether our dreams involve loving God and other people. Uh, As the law defines and as Jesus does, as we throw off the covers in the morning and on mornings that are cold, that's uncomfortable, we need to be clear about the task that God has given us to do. Dear saints, as a Christian, your daily ambition must be to love God and others as the law defines and as Jesus does. Jesus gave us the top two things to do in life. And guess what? They don't include sports. Yes, though sports may be involved. They don't include good grades though good grades may be involved. These top two things don't include making money, having a nice house, having a picture-perfect marriage, making money, uh, having possessions, having cute kids on a cute Christmas card that everybody's like, "Mm, I'm putting that one right in front and center. They're beautiful people. (laughs) Being active in your community, staying busy, though all those things might be involved. Your God has made your purpose for each day quite clear. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the ambition that God graciously puts into his people. That's the ambition God wants his people to understand and to live for. That's the ambition God defines in his law. That's the ambition that Jesus lives. And that's the ambition God gives mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness and strength for. In verse 40, Jesus says, on these two commandments depend All the law and the prophets. Every commandment in the law and prophets is undergirded by love. And the Jewish religious leaders listening to Jesus should have known that. Shame on them. They were law people. The Ten Commandments, or we could say the moral law, defines for us in practical terms how true love is expressed. Scripture says that love is kind. Well, then the moral law defines what kindness looks like practically. 
And Scripture says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And then the moral law defines what right and wrong is. The law defines love for us in practical terms. Sadly, there are professing Christians today, even respected Christian pastors, who just disagree. Uh, who strongly argue that the Ten Commandments have absolutely nothing to do with how we love today. One evangelical pastor, most of you would probably know his name, he actually said this, quote, the Ten Commandments have no authority over you, none, to be clear, thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments, end quote. This pastor said, you can keep all the Ten Commandments and be a terrible husband, terrible friend, terrible employee, but you can't take 1 Corinthians 13 or the fruit of the Spirit and be a terrible friend, father, mother, husband, or wife. That line of thought is fraught with problems. Where do you even start with that? This guy's trained. This well-known pastor actually tells Christians, quote, thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments because those aren't your commandments. Yours are better and yours are far less complicated, but they are far more demanding. That is utter foolishness, folks. What's he, what's he saying? It's gibberish. That makes no sense. That's, a, that's another line of thinking. It seems like he doesn't understand what the Ten Commandments actually demand that they demand much more than what they state on the surface. You have to go deeper into them to realize how wide and expansive they really are to demand complete and perfect love. It seems like he doesn't understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, that the radical love that the law requires is exactly what Jesus did all throughout his life. Jesus loved God perfectly, and Jesus loved his neighbor perfectly. By doing God's law. In John 15, Jesus talked about how he kept his father's commandments and abided in his love. The Ten Commandments help us understand not only the righteousness of Jesus, but the love of Jesus, of our beloved Christ. Folks, I don't think this should be controversial. <laughs> it's, um, as simple as it may seem, the law is greatly misunderstood and maligned today. Among Christians, we could say that another way. Love is greatly misunderstood and misal uh, misaligned today. People don't know how to love. They don't know what it is, and you can tell. And that's because they don't understand the law, and that's because they don't understand the gospel. They're not listening to God. God is not defining love for them. They're confused, and so they call these ridiculous things love. In the first portion of Romans, Paul establishes guilt. In the next portion, Paul establishes grace or gospel. And in the last portion of Romans, Paul establishes gratitude. Uh, gratitude. How Christians ought to live in love for God and their neighbor. Paul explains how Christians ought to love. Listen carefully to Romans 13, 8 through 10. So in these verses, Paul it explains for Christians now how they ought to love. Paul said this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, don't miss that line, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So, you owe one another something. You owe one another love as God defines it and as Jesus does it. You owe one another that. It's your daily duty to love one another as the Ten Commandments define it and as Jesus does it. Look at Jesus' precious life. All of his life shows you what it means to obey the Ten Commandments in all their depth and precision and fullness. His life shows you what love is. Again, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus does all that the law requires. Jesus truly loves God. Jesus truly loves others. And and as those who belong to Christ then, brothers and sisters, If we truly love Jesus, we must strive to emulate Jesus in how he loves God and how he loves others. That's your purpose. That's your aim. That's what you ought to get out of bed in the morning to do. Simple. Simple to understand, not simple to do. Now, I recognize that this sermon is predominantly law, gratitude. I've given you gospel in it, but I want to caution you, or encourage you rather, you must hear about this sanctified daily ambition in light of God's covenantal love for you. In light of your great and grand union with Christ. Or this could do very bad things in you. Okay, only the gospel will make this ambition compelling for you. Only the gospel will make this uh, ambition beautiful to you. So see it lived out by Christ and set your eyes on him as he compels you to this ambition. I went to Grove City College. One of my favorite professors was uh, Scott Powell. He was my marketing professor, and he used to tell us over and over in class, this might be the only thing I learned in college. I, like, forgot everything. I'm a moron, folks, so I can't remember. But this I remember. And he would tell us, if you lose your focus, you lose your shirt. And it would be about businesses, just trying to lose folk, don't, wow, we should get into that and do this. And then they end up not being profitable and they tank because they get into things that are not their focus. If you lose your focus, you lose your shirt. If you lose your focus on Christ, if you lose your focus on his covenantal love for you, this sanctified daily ambition that I'm talking about weakens in you. It wavers And as it wavers, you focus more and more on living for you, of doing you. And you love others and you love God less and less and less, the less you're focused on Christ. But the more you focus on Christ, 
the clearer the law becomes and the more compelling this one sanctified daily ambition becomes for you. As a Christian, your daily ambition, brothers and sisters, must be to love God and others as the law defines and as Jesus does. You devote or you don't devote your entire life to this grand ambition in order to be loved by God You devote your life to this grand ambition because you are loved by God, because you belong to Christ, because the same spirit that drove Jesus to pursue this grand ambition with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind is the same spirit that is inside you driving you to pursue this same grand ambition. You're probably going to wake up tomorrow. And when you hear your alarm clock, when your eyes open, perhaps it will be helpful for you to have a simple plan for the day. You may have a to-do list, okay? Great, I think that's prudent. Uh, But all throughout the list ought to be a simple theme permeating everything. As a Christian... Your daily ambition must be to love God and others as the law defines and as Jesus does.